My name is Jim, uh, one of the pastor elders here at the church. Uh, today we'll be continuing through the message of Jeremiah, uh, going through chapters 26 through 29. And yes, we will be going through the wonderful uh, verse of 2911, you know, that everyone so looks forward to is, is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. We're going to take a look at this message in context, and we'll see what it really meant to the Jews that were reading it at the time. But first, let us pray. Father, I do thank you uh, that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, that in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth, that we can rely on you, that you are a sovereign God, that you provide in your own timing. I do pray that you'd fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that each of us here would walk in a manner worthy of you bearing the fruit which you prepared for us to be that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in strengthen with the knowledge of who you are and walking in the power of who you are we bless this time and we thank you in Jesus name well, I just want to say Jeremiah we're going through it is a tough book but it is an awesome book he is one of the three major prophets in scripture Ezekiel and Isaiah being the other two but Jeremiah is a foreshadowing of the prophetic ministry of Jesus Christ it parallels who Jesus is, and if you look, if you read the four Gospels in accordance with Jeremiah, you will see the foreshadowing of Jesus. You'll see the blood of Jesus Christ dripping through Jeremiah. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the red-letter version of the Bible. You guys know where the words of Jesus are marked in red? Well, I can assure you that if you'd mark Jeremiah in red with the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, you would see Jeremiah littered with the blood of Jesus Christ as well. But I gotta admit, Jeremiah can be confusing. I think the way that it is written can be confusing. It jumps back and forth quite a bit. But as Ben spoke about a couple weeks ago, he is writing a message to those that are already in exile. These events have already happened. So when you understand that's not written chronologically, that's written in themes, it helps us to understand it quite a bit better. The themes we've been looking at, the consistent themes, um, We've been looking at through lament, we've been looking at judgment, faithfulness, and the hope of God. Today, we'll primarily, we'll look at judgment, we will look at faithfulness and the hope of God, of course. But before we start digging into today's passage, I first want to take you back to the beginning, not of Jeremiah, but to Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 states, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Very quickly, the Bible asserts who is in authority, who is in control. It's God. Right there, God the Father, God the Spirit is right there. If you take it forward to John 1.1, 1, 1, what do we have here? John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was nothing that was made without Jesus. This Word is talking about Jesus. So we have Jesus in the beginning. So if we understand... We know that, that God is in control. The fullness of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, is in the very beginning. We can place our trust in Him and know that if He created the heavens and the earth, there is nothing too big He can't handle and nothing too small that doesn't mean thing to Him. Now, you may have heard uh, the phrase, uh, the sovereignty of God and the, the providence of God. I think these are important words uh, you hear them thrown around. I'm not here to discuss what all they mean and what they don't mean, but just understand that sovereign means supreme. It means above all. 
I mean, there, there is nothing more. You, you can't, and I, talking to people that sometimes they say, oh, there's gotta be multiple gods. If God is supreme over all and there's another God, that's not God. Our God is supreme over all gods. He rules, rules over all. So if you think about sovereignty of God, it really means that He is in control. Obviously, it talks about the providence of God. You may have heard of providence, the word meaning provide. It's basically, Sovereignty is who God is. He's in control. Providence shows how he accomplishes his will. Um, you remember last week, Ben spoke about the failures of Judah. Uh, they were pretty, pretty wicked and pretty evil. I think sometimes we, we downplay it a little bit, but they were wicked. God knew this. This is why he was going to judge them. He con- the, they continually placed their hope in the things created and not in the creator himself. I pray we not make that mistake. It is so often that we see the beautiful things of God and we worship that instead of who is behind all of it. Just reading through Jeremiah, just know, and even in our daily lives, if God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he will be there for us. He is in control. Whether things happen good or bad, it's all by the providence of God. Just know this. We're going to be doing a lot of reading today in Jeremiah um, this is an awesome book. I encourage you to read it all the way through, even after we've done this message. Uh, we've completed, I think, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it, Jeremiah, we're taking eight weeks. We could take a whole year to do Jeremiah. So I encourage you to look at the nuances of Jeremiah. We're going to start off, if you want to open your Bibles to Jeremiah 26. We read here. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak them, do not hold back a word. It may be well, they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent to the disaster that I intend to do them because of their evil deeds." Now know that Jeremiah is standing in the main temple courts of the Lord. This is the, the, the temple that Solomon had built. This is where Judah and the inhabitants would come to worship the Lord. He is to proclaim a message which has already been proclaim, proclaimed all throughout Scripture, even from the beginning of Adam and Eve. And note, Jeremiah is not to hold back a word just in case they are to repent. You know, God's will is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But God gives a way out as long as we obey his words. And we continue to read verse 4. You shall say to them, this is Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants and the prophets I have sent urgently through you, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. I want you to understand really quick the word Shiloh. Um, it is mentioned 33 times in the scripture. 32 times is a geographical location. Uh, when, the, when the Israelites came out of bondage in the wilderness, they came into the, the land of Samaria. They crossed the Jordan River. They brought the tabernacle of, of Moses with them and the Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle was their place of worship. I think it was like 150 feet by 75 feet. It was a portable tabernacle. And in it, you had the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, um, so as they, they entered this land of Samaria, they set this up as a place of worship in ancient Israel. They were to go to this place and they were to worship there. Uh, and you go to Genesis 49.10, there's the Messianic prophecy mentioned here. As Jacob is blessing his 12 sons, and I encourage you to read it, 
uh, he is blessing Judah. And it says in Judah, Genesis 49.10, talking about Judah, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That Shiloh is representative of the messianic promise of Jesus Christ coming. So you could understand here, as Jeremiah is speaking to them, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, just like Shiloh. So we continue on verse 7. It says here, the priests and the prophets and all the people, they heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. Then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, you shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, and the city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. We can only imagine what Jeremiah is being placed in. I mean, I couldn't imagine all you guys, me saying something, all of a sudden all you guys surround me, you gather me, and, and uh, you said, look, Jim, that was some pretty bold things you said there. But this is what Jeremiah was saying. He knew full well that they were going to reject him, but the word of God had to be proclaimed. He was still faithful to proclaim it. God is displaying his love to his people by warning them of their sins and telling them to repent. But if they do not obey, Jeremiah tells them that this place, Jerusalem, would be destroyed. It would be like the tiny town of Shiloh. Now just imagine, they knew that their prophet was coming through the son of Judah. Judah, that's where we get the term Jew. The temple, Jerusalem, built by Solomon, was now going to be destroyed. That's utterly blasphemous. Where were they going to worship God? This is, and, and to have the, the promised Messiah come through Jerusalem... This was disturbing to these priests and prophets, and I believe that they honestly probably thought that Jeremiah was a false prophet. So they brought him before the officials of Judah, and they wanted to put him to death. We continue in verse 10. It says, When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, and they took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. The priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death. Because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. So now Jeremiah hears all these officials coming in. You have the priests and the prophets who are uh, blaming that they want to put him to death. And now these officials come in. We're going to hear, it's kind of like a mock trial before these officials. We go into verse 12. It says here that Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, the Lord has sent me to prophesy against this house and the city, all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways, mend your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak these things. Jeremiah, again, he asserts, what does he assert? Hey, this is from the Lord. This is not my own words. I'm speaking it from the Lord. And who does this represent? Who does this remind you of? Jesus even said that the temple was going to be destroyed. The Pharisees hated that. Jesus claimed to be God, and they wanted to kill him, an innocent man. Jeremiah, again, he is asserting this, and even though he knew that, that uh, calamity would come upon him, he was firm to stand firm in the Lord. Now we're going to move on. 
verse 16. We're going to look at two faithful prophets. Remember, he's in the temple of the Lord. We got the officials. We have the priests and the prophets and all the people. They want to put him to death. And here's what the officials say. And no, being maybe Daniel, um, Ezekiel, maybe one of these officials, they call it princes as well. We don't know. But um, we talk about the providence of God, how God provides. This is what the officials say. Verse 16. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain elders of the land arose, and they spoke, and they all assembled people, and they said, Remember, Micah of Morisesh, he prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and he said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a reap of ruins and the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Does that sound familiar? This is just what Jeremiah just preached to them. The elders continue on. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all of Judah, put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? Did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring disaster upon ourselves. Remember, Hezekiah was a great king. He was probably one of the last kings before Jeremiah. He was one of the righteous kings of Judah. We continue on verse 20. But yet, there is another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against the city, against this land, in words like Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim, with all his warriors and all the officials, heard these words... The king sought to put him to death as well. But when Uriah had heard of it, this is the prophet, he was afraid and he fled and he escaped to Egypt. Egypt was in the south. It was common for people to flee to Egypt. But King Jehoiakim sent certain men to Egypt, El Nathan, the son of Akbar, and others with him. They took Uriah from Egypt. They brought him to King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim struck them down with a sword and dumped his dead body in the burial place of the common people. How would you like to hear that? The officials are talking about these two, two prophets. So the one prophet survives, the second get killed. So here's Jeremiah standing here, and he doesn't know. Maybe his hands, who knows what's going to happen. But what does verse 24 say? But the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. This shows here the the sovereignty of God. God is still in control. This is the providence of God. He provided uh, Ahikim to protect Jeremiah from possibly being put to death. And remember, if you look at these two prophets that that prophesied, Micah, the biblical prophet we talk about, not Micah sitting here. (laughs) Sorry, Micah. the biblical prophet Micah, he was saved by a righteous king in King Hezekiah. And if we look at Uriah, he was under King Jehoiakim, who was a wicked king. He had him put to death. But the, the hand of the Lord was upon Jeremiah. Now I want to, we jump to chapter 27. It's only so because it comes after 26. But um, we're jumping 11, year, 11 years ahead into the kingship of King Zedekiah. And just know a wave of, the Babel, of uh, Judah has already been taken to Babylon. And so this is where we kind of set the scene. We're going to talk about the yoke of Babylon. Chapter 27, verse 1. It says here, In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, 
the son of Josiah. Remember, Josiah was a righteous king, by the way. Josiah is the king of Judah. This, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. And send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, and the king of Tyre, and the king of, of Sidon. Send envoys to this land to have Jerusalem know that Zedekiah, king of Judah, know that we are going to be put into the hands of Babylon. And I want them to give them this charge for their masters. Now, it was common for God's prophets to illustrate symbolic um, acts to these people. If you remember, uh, Isaiah walked around naked for three years. Ezekiel laid on his side for quite some time. Um, Jeremiah is to make a wooden yoke. He's to place it around his neck. And as well, he's to make these yokes to send out to the five nations that we just mentioned. In case you don't know, uh, a yoke is a, typically a wooden device. It's made to, to harness oxen together so that they stay in alignment. So this is what he's talking about. He wants the visual, um, just the illustration that this yoke is going to be around your neck and that you will eventually submit to me one way or another. That God always causes, God, God will either humble us himself or we could choose to be humbled under the hand of God. And we'll see what they decide to do. We go on and, and we follow in verse 4. And I want you to take note of these verses. It says here, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, This is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power, remember this is God speaking, it is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. God is asserting his power right here. He's telling them, hey, I am the God of the heavens and the earth. I created all these things. Through my power, this will happen. We continue on in verse 6. He says here, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him, his son and his grandson, until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him a slave. Like we talked about Genesis 1.1. Again, remember, we're in the sovereignty of God. God is in control. This seems like a calamity to Jeremiah and maybe the, the other faithful prophets, but know that God is in control here. This doesn't take him by surprise. It's, it's kind of ironic that um, you'd, you'd think like, well, here, Judah, which is very wicked, but people kind of say, here's Judah. They proclaim the word of God, supposedly. And, and, uh, but yet he's going to use this wicked kingdom, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked king. You can actually read about him in, in, in Daniel, and uh, eventually he repents of his sin. But initially, God says, here, here is my, I'm using him as my servant. He's using a wicked king as his servant to deliver justice and minister justice to, to the city of Judah and its inhabitants. And what does Habakkuk say about this? Habakkuk was a uh, contemporary of, of uh, Jeremiah. And even he asked, he's oh God, why do you use such a wicked people to judge my people? Why do you use someone who's more unrighteous? And God, really, in essence, God says, no, don't think that you're more righteous than these people because we are all sinners. We're all separated from God at first. But what, is he, what does God say in Habakkuk? Chapter 2, verse 20, he says, The Lord is holy, 
And the Lord is in his holy temple. Therefore, let all the earth keep silence before him. There's nothing we can say. We can't question God. Who am I? I'm a finite person compared to eternity, this God of eternity. Who am I even to think what, what I should know how God should judge us or even how God should walk among us? It's kind of arrogant if you think about it. Um, I'm, all, I'm 48 years old. Who am I to think I know better than God who's lived for eternity that I should know how he should judge a nation? Well, like it says, Babylon, Babylon will eventually be judged. You know, had they repented, they wouldn't have. But God continues his faithfulness and judgment. And we, we continue on here in verse 8. It says, but if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon... I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets. Do not listen to your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers, who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king. You shall not serve the king of Babylon. These are what the false prophets are telling them. For it is a lie, verse 10, it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work there and to dwell there, declares the Lord. So I think all throughout scripture, we can see that God lovingly proclaims blessings for obedience and a curse for disobedience. We saw this at the very beginning, Adam and Eve. What happened? They got kicked out of the, the Garden of Eden. They were exiled out into this beautiful garden. They were kicked out of there. Well, this is the same thing. He's telling them, he's all, look, you, you can have your false prophets and you can think that God is, is all good and warm and fuzzy and he's going to bring you back. But, but right now, this is it. This is God's word. He's telling you, submit to the yoke of Babylon and be safe. Or you can resist them, or you're going to be killed. You're going to be destroyed. Now, in the rest of chapter 27, we're not going to read it here for time's sake, but uh, Jeremiah warns King Zedekiah. Remember, this is the wicked king. He had the prophet Uriah killed. Um, Zedekiah, the priest, they all didn't listen to God. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't listen to what he was saying. But we need to be able to understand that when false prophets come along, how do we discern a false prophet? I think we talked about several weeks ago. One of the ways is, is kind of looking at their lives. You know, we see these prophets that make grander statements. Um, but then we really look at the way they live their lives. If you compare it, the Bible says um, a student will not be above his master. If we look at the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus had nothing to his name when he died. He had just the, the cloak that he, was, that he had on him. In fact, even when they talked about they were going to divide his spoils, it was just the cloak that he had on. So don't expect that, that we're going to have a life better than Jesus because Jesus gave up everything. In his riches, he became poor so that spiritually we might become rich. I think another thing really to, to understand a false prophecy is to know the word of God. When people proclaim God's word, and they use it in such a way of, hey, you obey this, you're going to prosper materially. But when we look at it, that's nothing in God's word. We read it. We, we hold up fault. We, any prophecy, even what I say here today, you're to hold up to scripture to see if what I'm saying is false. I encourage you guys. That's why you need to be a student of God's word. 
Well, we're going to continue chapter 28. Uh, we're going to look at a false prophet named Hananiah. And he boldly comes against Jeremiah. Chapter 28, verse 1. It says here, In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azer, the prophet from Gibeon, he spoke to me in the house of the Lord, and in the presence of all the priests and the people. So just know, once again, they're in the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah is here, and here is Hananiah. They're kind of like face to face. And this is what Hananiah says. He's all, look, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken away and carried to Babylon. I will bring these exiles back. I'll bring them and continue down. All the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Basically, Hananiah is telling people, God had told him, look, don't worry. These people are going to come back soon. It's okay. Just calm down. Life is going to be all good. He's, he's kind of contradicting what Jeremiah is saying, but, you know, we're going to look. And this, this would be relief to the people. They're already in exile. They don't want to be in a foreign land. They want to come back. But this is what it says, verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah. So he's confronting Jer- Hananiah. The prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And this is what Jeremiah says to him. Amen, brother. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back this place from Babylon, the vessels of the house of the Lord. Now, we're not sure. Some read it. Maybe he's kind of mocking Hananiah. Maybe there is some truth. Hey, if it comes to pass, praise God. May, may you bring back the exiles. But Jeremiah continues on verse 7. He says, yet, hear now this word. Hear this word that I'm speaking in the hearing and in the hearing of all the people. This is Jeremiah speaking. The prophets who preceded you and from me from the ancient times, they've always prophesied war, famine, pestilence. And they've done this against many countries and great kingdoms. Verse 9, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the Lord of the prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. So how do you combat false prophecy? Again, it's by God's word, knowing God's word. And another thing, um, we'll look at, uh, go, go to verse 10. We'll continue. How do you know a false prophet? If, if basically, if, if what he proclaims comes to pass, then praise God, then he's a true prophet. But if it doesn't, he's a false prophet. And the word said he's to be put to death. But here, verse 10, it says, the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars. Remember, he'd had this yoke around his neck. Hananiah takes the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and he breaks them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah went his way. So how do you handle uh, confrontation? He walked away. He knew, he thought, there's no reason. Hananiah breaks the yoke. He's taking things into his own hands. Maybe he still is a true prophet. We don't know yet. Um, but we continue on. Jeremiah leaves. He comes back. Sometime, verse 12. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord says to Jeremiah, Go tell Hananiah, Look, thus says the Lord, You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given him to the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. Sure enough, and it was a couple months later, uh, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So here, Jeremiah going up against a false prophet, but praise God, he had the word of God. He knew the word of God. And he confronted Hananiah and he said, look, you can't take the things of God into your own hands and think that you can prosper through it. And you know what? I'm sure you've heard of the ironclad guarantee. This is basically what God is saying. His will will be done. It will not be thwarted. We can always trust that in his sovereignty, God will provide in such a way that he will accomplish his will. Now we come to chapter 29. I think this is a a verse. I think when when people um, look for Bible verses, this is one, I think the top 20, it comes up, one of the popular verses. Uh, We like to quote this verse. It is an awesome verse. It's a wonderful verse. But I think really to understand the depths of it, we need to look what this verse means in context, who it was, who it was being preached to. Um, just, just think, this is a dark time in the period of Judah. And make no mistake, these weren't like nice people. They weren't good. They were wicked. The things that they did, it would make us vomit today. And, and, um, and, and know that, that God, God sees our hearts. So we could see people looking righteous. We could see him looking good and go, why would God judge a person like that? He's a good person. We can't see the insides of their hearts, the immorality that exists. Praise God for Jesus who takes that sin away in us. But we'll look here. Um, Note these people, they were in exile. They, they were taken out of their lands, their homes. Um, the, the, the jobs that they had, the, the comfort of the things that they had here. They were, they were taken into exile. They're 401ks, if you will. So understand, they were taken to this land, Babylon, who Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even praise God at first. So here's a wicked king. Now they're being sent to this wicked king. How would you feel? All that you prepared, all your your future that you had stored up for you, taken away. And this was the thing. It was basically, hey, give up the future you have now in Judah and go to Babylon and you will be blessed. Or stay here, try to hold on to it like Hananiah, he broke the wooden yoke. Stay here and see what happens. Because the iron yoke of the Lord, he's going to come through all the time. Not some of the time, all the time. That's a promise that we have from God our Savior. We go into chapter 29. We read these words. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. So he's writing this letter to those in exile. We read verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Well, I don't know about you, but this this doesn't sound like good news. Remember, we're building up to this wonderful verse, uh, chapter, verse 11, uh, the exiles are, are told, hey, build houses, 
live in them. This doesn't sound like a temporary thing. This, would you build a house knowing in two years you were going to go back to somewhere? Probably not. I, I, I think not. Um, anyways, he continues on. Verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams that they, that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Remember, they said that they would be brought back in two years. These are the false prophets. Jeremiah is saying, no, that ain't true. He's on verse 10 here. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill your promise to you and bring you back from this place. What's the average lifespan of a human being? 70 years, right? That's the average, um, give or take. So you imagine, if I'm being in exile to Judah, I know all the things that I have here, I've given them up completely. I'm not coming back to I'm not going to see it. This is what Jeremiah is saying to them. And you can see why they were upset with Jeremiah. It's how can this be? There's no way this can happen. But yet, this is where Jeremiah 29.11 comes in. Remember, they're in exile. They're not going to come back to their land. They have no no more hope anymore. But this is what God says to him. And this is in loving, um, compassionate that, that God has for his people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. In the deepest, darkest hour of Judah's history, God offers a future with hope. But they are in despair. They are looking for a get-out-of-jail card. And yet, this is what Jeremiah says to them. Now, the core of this verse is not that God is going to change their circumstances and get them out of suffering, but that God is with them. Throughout all their circumstances, God is with you. He will persevere you, and He will prosper these people in a foreign land. And this is a testimony to who God is. In difficult times, we do need to cling to our Savior Jesus. We need to trust that He is in control. Now, I want to read this verse in its entirety with the scripture around it. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places I have driven you. This is a prophetic um, talking about the, the return of the Jews eventually, but short-term, understand dual prophecy in scriptures. Uh, prophecy is mentioned, and usually uh, for a long-term prophecy, there's going to be a short-term prophecy fulfilled. And this is what, in 70 years, Daniel's in exile. He's one of the princes there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. They're, they're in exile. And Daniel's reading uh, the word of God, and he realizes, wow, these 70 years are up. It's about time to us. Uh, we need to repent of our sin, a nation as a whole. And here's Daniel, a godly, godly servant of God. And yet, what does he say? He's all, we confess our sins. It's not, you guys need to confess your sins. We all together need to confess our sins. And, this is, this, and then, those that call upon the name of the Lord will be brought back to him. I tell you, disobeying God is never a good thing. The ultimate fate of complete disobedience is to eternal destruction in hell. But you know what? Judah betrayed God in many ways, and it was time for judgment to take place. Now, we're not going to read the rest of Jeremiah 29 for time. 
Um, but I just want you to know it talks about false prophecy and, and what happens to those false prophets. So just know in time that, that if someone proclaims a message and it's false, it's not according to God's word, what? We can use God's word, right? And if that doesn't prevail, there's no need. It's not like, it's not like God is out of control and going, uh-oh, I can't believe this prophet got loose. No, we could trust in the eternity of God. We could trust in the sovereignty of God. So how does this apply to us today? Like I talked about, that Jeremiah is littered with the sayings of Jesus Christ. The Bible, you know, it, it's, number one, we're to be yoked with Jesus. Just as the yoke that, that uh, Jeremiah had on him, this is really foreshadowing the yoke of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're either slaves to sin and we reap the eternal consequences of hell, or we are slaves to the righteous King, Jesus Christ. When you submit yourself under the yoke of Jesus, he will persevere you and through the disasters of this world, and he will usher you into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says here, Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Number two, we seek the welfare of others. One of the ways is really by preaching the gospel to others. Here's Matthew 18 through, or 28, 18 through 20. I'm sure you know it. Um, preaching the gospel to others. How much more love can you show someone to spare them from the eternity in hell by telling them about the love of Christ, how Christ breaks those chains? He is the iron yoke in our lives that we could trust in him. How do we seek the welfare of others? We preach the gospel and we seek their interests. For time's sake... Um, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, I'm sure you know. If I'm going to go to Matthew 13, 31 through 32, he says, he, Jesus talking to the multitudes, and he, he places another parable before them, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and become a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. We should cultivate our lives in such a manner that we can be a resting place to many. I just think about that in your life. And I think about the, the church as a whole. I mean, this is kind of talking to the church as a whole. Are we a place where people come, can come and rest and know comfort? That we're not going to judge them? That we're not going to um, be angry with, with them? Obviously, we need to preach the Word of Christ. We need to hold true to the Scriptures, but uh, we need to encourage one another. And lastly, how does this apply to us? We're to watch for false prophets. We're to watch for false teachers. And how is this? By being skilled in the Word of God. Knowing the Old Testament and the New Testament, I love this in Matthew 13. Um, it says here, Matthew 13, 51. It says, have you understood? This is Jesus again. He's speaking in parables, and he's, he's telling the multitude. Have you understood all these things? And they say to him, yes, we have. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven and, and this and that. And Jesus says to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure that is new and what is old. What is this saying? Be trained in both the Old and New Testament. Just don't know the things of the New Testament because the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament and the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. It's one and the same. It can't be. You can't tear them apart. The last thing um, I have here is, is know that God is in control. Whether good or bad, He is the one who brings all things to fruition. He's the one who provides. You look at the life of Job really quick. Um, 
It, we always look at bad things and say, oh man, Satan caused this to happen. No, God caused it to happen. You look at Satan was wandering about and God says, have you tested my servant Job? God was the one that brought this on him. When calamity comes on our life, it's kind of reassuring to know it's God who is in control, not Satan. Because Satan doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know the things of the word. He doesn't know the deep things of God's word. But it is God who is in control. So let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you go before us, that you prepare a path for us to walk in. Lord, you call us to abide in the vine. It's as simple as that, to be yoked to you and to abide in the vine. And those good works that you prepare for us to walk in are already set before us, that we don't have to conjure them up. Um, I thank you for your word today. Uh, it is a word for us to know that Jesus is who he says he is, that we can rely on him and we can trust in him. And I just pray that you'd be glorified in all we do today.